0: Let's beat it up to Eagle City. I know we can get some beer. What say, Mike? Well, I don't know. I promised Mom I'd be home early.
1: From the Third Coast International Audio Festival in Chicago, I'm Gwen Maxi, and this is ReSound.
0: Man, how does a guy get involved in a crazy deal like this anyway? I wonder if I ought to call Mom. Maybe I can slip over to the phone there and call her and tell her I'll be a little later than
2: I figured.
1: Great radio is everywhere, but you can't be, which is why we collect, curate, and bring you the best audio stories we discover worldwide. We search high and low on the air, the internet, via podcast, and even deep inside our thoughts and bring you the best of what we hear each week on ReSound.
0: John, are you awake? What's the matter? It's past one o'clock and Mike isn't home yet. Uh, He said he'd be home by 10. Man, if Dad could see me now. This
1: This show show is is going to rock. I love these stories. Our inner voices can be our best friends. I sound good. Or our worst enemies. Oh, too low key. Maybe I I should should retract that. that. Breathe from the diaphragm. diaphragm. But friend or foe, we have to learn to live with them. The voices, the narrator, the tape loop, the Greek chorus that lives inside our heads. Can you you just
2: get
3: get on on the
1: show? Today on ReSound, we plug into our inner dialogue. On a date, in meditation, wherever you go, there they are. Stay tuned. These days, an entire industry exists to quiet your nagging doubts. Laughing yoga, virtual dolphin therapy, psychic surgery, not to mention just plain mindfulness, all claim to clear the mind and get you to a place of inner peace, not inner yammering. Sometimes it works, and sometimes, like in our next story, not so much. Here's radio producer and meditation student Pike Malinowski.
2: Everything. City with more than 7 million it's more of of nothing Harvey <laughs> Kaitel. Harvey Keitel
0: you don't build the house from the roof down. You build it from the foundation up. The foundation is the soul. The foundation is the body.
2: The sound of a room. An old industrial space. Cement floor. Tall ceilings. About 60 people shuffling into a room, looking for a seat. And the sound of the city beyond the room. New York City. A bell. The sound of a bell ringing up. And a voice. This voice. A self. Or as it's known from the inside, I. I. I'm meditating or I'm learning to meditate or I'm trying to learn to meditate but I'm distracted by the man sitting next to me
3: uh, let's begin with meditation which I'll guide you through you can just sit comfortably and be at ease
2: another voice the voice of the woman who's guiding us through the meditation
3: Close your eyes or not. Whatever you feel comfortable with.
2: I found an empty chair next to an older, scruffy-looking guy. Wild, fuzzy hair, tucked under a red bandana, like he had just blown in from a New Jersey truck stop.
3: The first instruction begins with simply hearing. Simply listen to the sounds around you.
2: I knew that I knew him. There was this immediate sense that I'd known him for a long time and we'd been through a lot together. You know, like a cousin you used to play with, but now you've both grown up and you forget his name. But flipping through the photo album of my mind, the pages were blank.
3: As you sit comfortably, you may hear external sounds. You may hear internal sounds. You may hear certain qualities of silence.
2: inside this first silence that we shared was suddenly a cough a quiet cough but a cough that revealed a large rumbling voice and that's when i realized that i was sitting next to the famous actor harvey Keitel.
3: we begin with hearing because it points to some of the natural qualities of mindfulness
2: and immediately i started thinking about all the things harvey Keitel might be thinking about
3: We don't have to define the sounds as being a certain thing.
2: Or, all the things Harvey Keitel was trying not to think about.
3: We don't have to manipulate them.
2: Or, I was trying not to think about all the things Harvey Keitel was trying not to think about.
3: We don't have to do anything about them in order to hear them. Simply listen.
2: Harvey Keitel, a physical reality in the chair next to me, but also an idea in my mind. My idea of Harvey Keitel projected onto the chair next to me and my memory of all the parts he's ever played, like the corrupt police officer in Bad Lieutenant.
3: We then bring that same feeling tone, that quality of relaxed, open Spacious awareness to feeling the breath. Take a few deep breaths. And release it.
2: It was shocking to see such a famous face. The face of so many mean and ill-adjusted gangsters looking so peaceful and withdrawn his large hands folded in his lap. Our intimacy made me feel protective of him, like I was in on a secret, the secret of who he was. And inside that secret was the cocaine-sniffing lieutenant, howling for forgiveness. He lost all his money gambling and now he's in the church. God is his last hope. Or maybe he's here to file a complaint. Where were you? Where were you? I'm here now. I'm right here. Come. Take my hand. Stand up. It's cold on that stone floor. You can sit here in this pew. I tried to do the right thing, but I'm weak. It's okay to cry, even when you're a grown man.
3: Then allow your breath to become natural. You don't have to try to make it deeper or different. Just be with it the way that it is and the way that it changes. See if you can feel just one breath, just this one.
2: Why do I meditate? I meditate to rein in that constant flow of thoughts. That voice in my head that keeps on yammering its constant commentary like some sort of embedded reporter. Did I say something wrong at dinner last night? I should really buy an apartment. Getting too old to sublet that girl notice me looking at her breast. Have I been wearing these pants too long? I did so many bad things! I'm sorry!
3: As you sit, make the effort to steady your attention on the feeling of the breath. And inevitably thoughts and feelings will arise. Forgive me!
2: Sorry, Harvey. I, I have to go.
3: They'll come. They'll claim our attention. And what we're practicing is repeatedly noticing them and simply letting them go.
2: Forgive me! Forgive me, please! I'm trying to let go of myself, this enormously important self that we all drag around. All the pompousness and all the pretense All the glorious ideas of what this magnificent self, which is mine, will achieve in this world. All the vanity and the jealousy and the idiotic posturing. Just let go. I can't think of a more selfless person than Augie, the tobacco shop owner in the film Smoke. He has this zen-like project.
0: What you'd call my life's work
2: takes a picture every day in the same place at the same time.
0: That's right. Well, the 4,000 pictures of the same place. The corner of 3rd Street and 7th Avenue at 8 o'clock in the morning. 4,000 straight days in all kinds of weather.
2: It's a hot summer evening. Augie's invited us home to show us his photographs.
0: That's why I can never take a vacation. i got to be in my spot every morning at the same time. Every morning in the same spot at the same time.
2: I've never seen anything like it. But I'm not sure I get it. It's a little overwhelming. You'll never get it if you don't slow down, my friend. What do you mean?
0: I mean, you're going too fast. You're hardly even looking at the pictures. But they're all the same. They're all the same, but each one is different from every other one. You got your bright mornings and your dark mornings. You got your summer light and your autumn light. You got your weekdays and your weekends. You got your people in overcoats and galoshes and you got your people in t-shirts and shorts. Sometimes the same people, sometimes different ones. Sometimes the different ones become the same and the same ones disappear. The earth revolves around the sun and every day the light from the sun hits the earth at a different angle. Okay, I'll try to go slower. That's what I'd recommend. You know how it is, tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow.
3: Time creeps on its petty pace. You don't have to believe anything in order to feel your breath. You don't have to call yourself a Buddhist or a Hindu. You don't have to adopt a dogma. If you're breathing, you can be meditating.
2: If God Breathed life into Adam's nostrils. Was he dead before? I know so little about religion. I wonder if Harvey Keitel is religious, Catholic maybe. I remember him being Catholic in a number of films, all those Italian gangsters. Oh, and Judas! Didn't he play Judas in The Last Temptation of Christ?
0: You know the zealots ordered me to kill you. Why'd you change your
2: mind? Right. He's been sent out to kill Jesus, but he doesn't do it. Because he starts believing in him. I thought maybe you were the one to unite us. And I didn't want to destroy that. Harvey Keitel wants Jesus to man up. He thinks he's being too soft. He wants to kill the Romans. Look
0: at me. If I love somebody, I will die for them. If I hate somebody, I'd kill them. I could even kill somebody I loved if they did the wrong thing.
2: Well, we want the same thing. You do? We want to feel just one breath. That's not the same thing. It's not the same thing. First you free the body,
0: then you free the spirit. You don't build a house from the roof down. You build it from the foundation up.
2: But the foundation is the breath.
0: The foundation is the body. That's where you must begin.
2: Come. Let's try again. Let's just feel one breath.
3: Bring your attention to your hands and see if you can make the shift from the more conceptual level like, oh, fingers, to the world of direct sensation. Pulsing, throbbing, pressure, You don't have to name these things, but feel them.
2: I couldn't help myself. I opened my eyes and looked down at his hands. His big, calm hands made him seem in total control. Like Mr. Wolf in Pulp Fiction.
0: You're Jimmy, right? This is your house? Sure is. I'm Winston Wolf.
2: I solve problems. Good. Cause we got one. So I heard. May I come in? Uh sure. It's it's a little messy, but uh
0: let's get down to brass tacks, gentlemen. If I was informed correctly, the clock is ticking. Is that right, Jimmy? Yep. Yeah. yeah, that's that's right. Your wife, Bonnie, comes home at 9.30 in the a.m., is that correct? Uh-huh. I was led to believe if she comes home and finds us here, she wouldn't appreciate it none too much.
2: No, no, she's not gonna be happy at all.
0: Now, you got a corpse in a car, minus a head in a garage. Take me to it.
2: I hadn't shot anybody through the head by accident, but I was as lost as Jules and Vincent were in pulp fiction, and Harvey Keitel had me dancing like a puppet on strings.
0: Jimmy, uh huh. Do me a favor, will you? Fill this smut some coffee back there. Would you make me a cup?
2: Sure, right away. To
3: sharpen the concentration, as you feel the breath you can make a very quiet mental note. A silent mental note. Of in, out, in, in, out, out. So that your attention is really going toward feeling the breath, feeling those sensations of the breath.
2: There's a gazillion things in the world one could think about, other than Harvey Keitel but right now, I can't think of one of them. He's so famous. What's he even doing here? I bet he has invitations for five different cocktail parties tonight. You know, the good ones where the waiters wear white gloves and there's just the right balance of celebrities and not yet celebrities. And that beautiful young actress in the red dress would chat him up and soon she would drag him out onto the darkened terrace. Take it easy. She would take his big hand and place it on her breast and beg him to come home with her. Keep breathing. And they would make out a little. Keep breathing. Down here.
3: See if you can let go of whatever's taken your attention. Do you have a website? Bring it back to the feeling of the breath.
2: Oh wait, he's probably married. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess he could still have an affair. Keep breathing. I didn't mean to get him into trouble. I was just thinking that he would have plenty of opportunities to get into trouble.
3: If you find yourself getting distracted by thoughts, you can think of those thoughts as clouds moving across a vast sky. The clouds aren't the sky, and actually the sky remains unchanged by them, however many there are, whatever they look like.
2: If my thoughts were little clouds passing over clear summer sky, Harvey Keitel was like a low, dense thunderstorm lurking at every edge of the horizon.
3: Rather than get attached to any one thought, you can just let your thoughts float by, just like clouds moving through the sky.
2: Harvey Keitel, are you... A cloud, or are you the sky? (laughs) What? Come on, it's a game. I've given up on my breath. You have to answer. Here's another one. Are you an ocean or a river?
0: An ocean or a river? Uh A river.
2: Are you a match or a cigarette lighter?
0: Match. Definitely a match.
2: Are you a car or a bicycle? A bicycle. Are you an owl or a hummingbird? Mm. I used to be a
0: hummingbird, but now I'm an owl.
2: Sneakers or boots?
0: Boots. Now it's my turn.
2: Wait, no. I, I just got started.
0: You concentrate now. Are you a real person, or a spirit?
2: I think I'm a real person, but I'm confused. I'm I'm having an out-of-body kind of experience.
0: Do you understand what's happened, or are you in the dark
2: like me? I think I'm in the dark, like you.
3: and when you feel ready, you can open your eyes or lift your gaze.
1: Everything, nothing, Harvey Keitel was produced by Pike Malinowski for Falling Tree Productions. It first aired on Between the Ears from BBC Radio 3.
4: And we are going to plug my head.
1: Bring your inner thoughts out, then put it in an email. Questions, comments, rants, and raves can be sent to ReSound at thirdcoastfestival.org. Coming up after the break, plugging into your thoughts. Literally.
4: I, when I pull this fader up, we should hear my
1: inner voice. Stay tuned.
0: Stop that! You'll break something. Mike Miller, don't you dare leave that ball lying around. If you do, I'll hide it. Come on. It's all you and Dad can say.
2: Stop this and stop that.
3: Well, I have to. If someone around here didn't put the brakes on, the place would be a shambles. But I love you. Doesn't seem possible that Mike's so big and so, so grown up. Seems only yesterday he was riding his tricycle out there. And now here he is in high school, interested in sports and girls. Wonder if Mike's ever kissed a girl. I mean, seriously. Mm, No. I don't think so. He's such a quiet boy. Still, his father was pretty interested in girls. But Mike seems to take after my side of the family. (laughs) You're
1: listening to ReSound from the Third Coast Festival in Chicago. I'm Gwen Maxey. Today we're listening to those pesky, relentless taskmasters, critics, and philosophers inside our heads. Our next story is from the NPR Vault, an essay I produced while working for Morning Edition in the early 90s. As you'll see, I have a hard time ignoring my inner voices, though I'd like to think I have tamed them a bit. But twenty-something years ago when I made this, well, anything was fair game. And I do mean anything. I always wanted my mother's nose. It's a lovely nose, long and straight, softly rounded and well-proportioned. Instead, I got my father's nose, a miniature mountain.
2: Has anyone ever told you you look a lot like Barbara Streisand?
1: I would have settled for my mother's beautiful skin, which browns in the sun like an autumn chestnut. But I wound up with my father's skin. I burn in the sun like a human stewed tomato. I prayed, then, to at least inherit some of her math skills, since she is a math teacher. But, of course, I didn't. The only way I know how to balance my checkbook is by closing my account and opening a new one. Here's your new toaster, Ms. Maxi. In fact, my mother and I could not be more different from the ankles up. But from the ankles down, we are one. I wanted her nose, I got her feet. They're the same size. Foot long. The same shape. Flat. The same temperature. Freezing. And the same look. Ugly. They are knobby and knotty, like anatomical artifacts unearthed in an archaeological dig. We have the same long second toe and the same gnarled pinky, the same lumpy veins and the same bony joints, bunions like barnacles and calluses, nothing short of reptilian. From an early age, my mother took on my feet as her own personal mission. Her gifts to me are like a chronology of her determination to make up for heredity.
3: When your feet are happy, your whole body's happy.
1: First came the socks. All wool, rag wool, wigwam, polypro, thor low, hand knit, knee high, cotton blend, and anklets. Then came the slippers terry cloth, goose down, lambskin, and sheepskin. I was like the old McDonald of footwear. Then came the shoes. Eight shoes shoes are the bane of my existence evil incarnate i've never met a pair of shoes i liked except gym shoes
3: you are not wearing those
1: and so my mother who likes to see me happy but loves to see me well dressed keeps hoping like prince charming to find the perfect shoes for my problem feet
3: uh, uh, they'll loosen up sweetie
1: she used to drag me to every new shoe store in town. Mom! Convinced, I think, that the harder we looked, the more comfortable the shoes would become once we found them.
4: Ooh, ooh, ooh. Gwen, wake up!
3: Shoe barn, just got a shipment.
1: She'd even pretend to buy them for herself, but insist that I try them on. I'm telling you, these are the most comfortable shoes I've ever worn. If you like them, keep them. What do I need another pair for? Now that I live in another city, she just sends me shoes at random.
3: Hello, it's your mother for the sixth time. Do they fit?
1: I've never understood the primal bond between women and their shoes. The sheer joy of finding the perfect peach pump. The thrill of taking them home. The ecstasy of wearing them out for the first time.
0: You have to live through the blisters, Gwen. They go away.
1: No pain, no gain. To me, women's shoes are like instruments of torture disguised as innocent little espadrilles. Sacrificing your foot to a slingback stiletto is like voluntarily stepping into a rusty bear trap. It'll clamp onto your foot, suck the life out of it, grind your bones, smash your toes, and grate your heels like Parmesan. But then again, I'm an exception to the rule.
4: What do you mean you don't like shoes? I love shoes. Shoes are my
1: life. Shoe love is like a chromosome I'm missing that separates me from the rest of my sex. I've tried to be like them. I've seen a podiatrist. I've worn orthotics. In short of consulting a blacksmith, I'm alone out there among millions of mothers and daughters communing over purple potassois. It's a rite of passage I had to take a pass on. My mother and I will just have to bond over blisters.
3: Other people think of their parents when they inherit a lot of money. You'll think of me every time your feet hurt.
1: But if there's one thing I was introduced to early on by my mother, other than Joan and David, it's pride and perseverance. I'm not shaken by those women whose shoes stand perfectly polished in their closet like trophies. So what if mine look like crumpled carcasses off the curled feet of the Wicked Witch of the East? I pay them no mind. I stand tall, look straight ahead, and put my best foot forward. Just so long as it's in a gym shoe. Hit it!
2: Happy feet, I've got those happy feet. Give them a low-down beat, and they begin dancing. I've got those ten little tap and toes hear I can't control my dancing heels to save my soul. Weary blues can't get into my shoes because my shoes refuse to ever grow weary. I keep cheerful on an earful of
3: music sweet. Cause I've got half, half, happy feet.
1: This essay was written by me and produced by Taki Talanitas for NPR's Morning Edition in 1994. Since then, by the way, I've had five surgeries on one of my feet, and frankly, I'm no happier than I was back then. Don't ask.
2: Weary blues.
3: and think my thighs are too big my nose is too long do you come home from work thinking i really should have spoken up more do you grab a fast food breakfast and think why didn't i wake up earlier so i could have prepared a healthy breakfast we've talked to ourselves all day long about our appearance our intelligence the work we do the value we bring to the world (laughs)
1: Back in the day, our inner thoughts stayed inner. Now there are countless ways in which to overshare, like texting, tweeting, and of course, the ubiquitous Facebook. You never know what ghost is going to rise up from the past and reconstitute herself as a disconcerting friend request, which is exactly what happened to producer Benjamin Walker.
4: A couple of weeks ago, I got a Facebook request from an old girlfriend who wrote how thrilled she was to have finally found me. She's now living in Seattle. She's married to a successful trial lawyer. She has two gifted and talented children. She's the director of a world-famous medical research center. She lives in a giant house on the ocean. She has an estate in Spain. And she looks like she hasn't aged a day since she dumped me 13 years ago. Obviously, she's fabulously wealthy, or at least able to afford a good plastic surgeon. Well, I made a mistake in accepting her friend request because every night she sends me a stream of inappropriate messages. A few nights ago, she wrote to tell me how she'd spend an hour perusing my profile and my wall and how proud she is of me. It's so great you stuck with the bohemian thing, she wrote. And it's so great to see you're still doing your important volunteer radio work. It's only been a few weeks and she's already acting like she's my life coach. Last night, she sent me a message telling me to keep posting updates about my podcast, even though it's obvious that all of my friends could care less about it. You have to get them to unblock you, she wrote. She also repeatedly tells me that I must remind myself every day how lucky I am that I get to devote myself to creative pursuits. Why, if you only knew about some of the things I have to do at my world-famous medical center, she wrote, you would die. It's totally soul-crushing. And here she inserted 12 extra U's into crushing to better make her point. I almost responded to that one. I wanted to remind her that she had already taught me everything I could possibly learn about soul-crushing when she left me, but I didn't. I get the sense she's long forgotten that she once broke my heart. She has not forgotten, however, the circumstances under which we met. In fact, she's brought this up in a number of her messages. These are the really inappropriate ones most likely written after a few glasses of wine. All her spelling is slurred, but the meaning is clear. She wants me to know that she still fantasizes about that time I climbed out of the MRI machine and took off my flashing goggles and kissed her. When I was 26, I was supporting myself through medical testing. This was back when the economy was booming and many of the research facilities in the Boston area were flush. I cashed in by subjecting myself to science. I was the subject for a countless number of eating, sleeping, physical exertion, blood, tissue, organ and brain studies. But my favorite was the cocaine study I did every month at McLean's hospital. Once a month, they'd send a cab to fetch me from my unheated basement apartment. And when I arrived at the hospital, they'd shoot me full of cocaine. Then they'd strap on these flashing goggles to my face and dump me into an MRI machine. She was one of the graduate assistants working for the doctor who ran the study. She was gorgeous. And one day, perhaps overstimulated, I climbed out of the MRI machine and kissed her. We saw each other for about six months. She was amazing. Whenever she had time for a study break, she would call me up and I would rush over on my bicycle. She was independent and caught up in her own work. I thought we were perfect for each other. But when she finished medical school, she dumped me. She told me that while I was the perfect boyfriend for a girl in grad school, I just wasn't suitable for real life. This blast from the past did get me thinking, though. Perhaps I could get back into medical testing. I am, after all, indigent. And now that my body's falling apart, I should qualify for all sorts of studies. Perhaps I might even, well, on Craigslist, mixed in with the missed connections and the casual encounters, there are, it turns out, tons of medical testing opportunities. And many of them look quite lucrative but yesterday morning, I found one that took my breath away. It went like this. Have you ever wondered about that voice in your head? Have you ever wondered what you really sound like? A renowned scientist is launching a study to isolate and record the inner voice. And you have a once in a lifetime opportunity to participate. If you're willing to undergo a minor brain operation and are free to spend two weeks in our lab, then this study is for you. Compensation generous. I immediately replied to the email and the ad expressing my interest. And within five minutes, I got a reply asking if I was available to meet at noon outside the Dunkin' Donuts slash Baskin Robbins on First Avenue near the NYU Medical School. When I showed up at the Dunkin' Donuts slash Baskin-Robbins, there was a man outside leaning up against the building. He was wearing a lab coat, but he didn't look like a scientist or a doctor. He looked more like a hospital security guard. But when I flashed him a quizzical expression, he sprang to attention. Look at all these people with their phones and their pods and their pads, he said, waving his hand at the throngs of white earbudded people walking by. And not a single one of them could tell us if we asked why they do it. Why they drown out the sound of their true selves with audio sewage. As he was saying this, I discreetly tried to ball up the iPhone headphones I had in my left hand. But before I could finish, he snatched them away and flung them into the air. And then, with lightning reflexes, using only his thumb and forefinger, he plucked the eighth-inch jack out of the air and held it up in front of my face. Would it not be great, he said, if you could plug this into your head? His name was Dr. Steele. Well, that's how he introduced himself to me. Dr. Steele, the world's greatest authority on the inner voice of man. The inner voice, he said, has always been linked to the self. Most people, in fact, believe that the inner voice is the actual eye talking, like in a first-person narrative. But until now, science has only been able to study second-hand accounts of our inner voice. Research subjects can only report on what they hear after they've heard it. There's still a filter, an interface. But that, he said, is now going to change because I have figured out a way to wire up the brain for sound. And if you're lucky enough to participate in my revolutionary groundbreaking study, I will drill a hole in your head. At this point, his assistant comes barging out of the Dunkin' Donuts Baskin Robbins. She's carrying a clipboard. She's not really that attractive, but she does present me with a contract that says I will receive $10,000 if the experiment is successful. But what happens if it's not, I ask? Well, the assistant replied sheepishly, then you'd be dead. But that's not going to happen, Dr. Steele said in a very reassuring tone. So reassuring, in fact, I signed the contract. I can't recall what happened after I signed the contract to participate in Dr. Steele's medical experiment. I do remember crossing First Avenue with Dr. Steele and his assistant, but then everything fades to black. When I came to, I was in the front seat of a van, and there was a woman, a police officer, holding an ice pack to my head. Across the street, the neon Dunkin' Donuts slash Baskin-Robbins sign pulsated in the early evening twilight then I caught sight of Dr. Steele and his assistant they were being shoved into a police car they were both wearing handcuffs what's going on I asked the policewoman rogue science she replied apparently Dr. Steele isn't a real scientist his experiments are unethical and illegal the authorities have had him under surveillance for months now and just as he began operating on me in the back of his mobile van lab, a SWAT team descended upon him. You are lucky we showed up when we did, the policewoman said. There's no telling what he would have done to you. I wanted to give her a kiss to show her how grateful I was, but my head was throbbing. I could barely move. Eventually, they put me in a cab, and when I got to my apartment, I crawled into my bed, and fell into a deep, deep sleep. When I woke up this morning, I discovered to my astonishment that there is now a hole in my head on my right temple, That quack doctor drilled an eighth-inch audio jack into my brain. So I've decided that we are going to test this thing out together. I've brought with me a mini-to-mini cable here to the studio tonight, and we are going to plug my head directly into the board and see if this works. So when I pull this fader up, we should hear... My inner voice. Is this thing on? Hi, everybody! No, 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 I I do not sound like that. I don't know
0: who you are, but this is how I
4: sound. I must have, like, a loose connection. (laughs) That tickles. That tickles. Who are you? We are the same same person. person. Wait, there's two of you? Actually, I should say hi, too. We're like a big gang. Don't you wish you were cool enough to be in the gang? He's not welcome. Definitely not. Hold on a second. What's with the hostility? This is like a momentous occasion, and you guys are being dicks. We just don't like you. Who are you? I told you, we're a gang. How many of you are there? We are legion. Unbelievable. Are you stupid? Are, are you, stupid? you stupid? Oh, come on. Betty are you boy?
0: stupid? Betty are you boy? stupid?
4: Do you guys are really need to do this? This is humiliating. Rain. You guys are humiliating me on my own radio show. I can't believe it. I'm gonna have to grow out my sideburns or something. Well one thing's for sure, this is the last we'll be hearing of you.
1: That was an excerpt from Guided by Voices by Benjamin Walker. It originally aired on the series Too Much Information from WFMU. For a link to the entire episode, visit our website, thirdcoastfestival.org. You can hear more from Benjamin Walker on his podcast, Theory of Everything.
4: The number one thing that you need to do is to work on your internal dialogue. If your internal dialogue is constantly negative, if your internal dialogue
2: is saying, look, you can't do this, you're not going to succeed, Uh, this is a problem.
1: The best thing about our inner thoughts is that everyone has them. Everyone also thinks that theirs is the most wretched. Or at least I do. I mean, I assume everyone does. But I guess that could just be to make myself feel better about the mean, grumpy, and unflattering things I like. You've been listening to ReSound from the Third Coast International Audio Festival in Chicago. I'm Gwen Maxai. The program is produced by Dennis Funk and curated by Johanna Zorn and Sarah Geis of the Third Coast Festival. You can hear today's program at thirdcoastfestival.org, where you can also hear nearly 1,500 outstanding documentaries from around the world. And subscribe to our podcast. Support for ReSound comes from Emma, a web-based email marketing and communication service helping businesses and nonprofits manage their email campaigns and online surveys in style. More at MyEmma.com. The Third Coast International Audio Festival is a nonprofit arts organization made possible with lead funding from the Richard H. Driehaus Foundation and the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation. Additional support is provided by the Agadino Foundation, the Menaki Foundation, and the National Endowment for the Arts. The Third Coast Festival is supported in part by a grant from the Illinois Arts Council, a state agency. Special thanks to our many individual contributors from Chicago and around the world. The Third Coast Festival was founded in 2000 by W. BEZ Chicago If you want to contact us, we would love to hear from you. Email us at resound at thirdcoastfestival.org You can also connect with us through Facebook and Twitter. Resound returns next week with more radio that you can't hear anywhere else unless you live everywhere else.